listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 30. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean, demonic spirit who cried with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they were saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your presence, which is everywhere, but which is also uh, willing to to manifest itself here through peace and understanding and power. Lord, as Chantrice read earlier, those who draw near to you, you will draw near to. In other words, those who reach out to you, you, they will get you. That when we reach out to you by faith, through repentance, to be drawn near to Jesus, that we, we get you. And I pray for the person here today, Lord, who desperately feels like they need you, whose hearts are numb or apathetic, who's here by habit, but who is filled with doubt and skepticism. Lord, I pray that your spirit would break through through the preaching of your word in culmination with the singing that we have experienced thus far and will experience afterwards. Speak, Lord. For your servants are listening. Even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, Jesus has come to bring freedom to those who are bound. He has come to set the captives free. And it doesn't take long for us to pause and to think about all that's going on in our society, around us, and even in us to recognize that there are many who are captive. There are many who are bound. We just turn on the news and we see these wars that are happening across the globe. Here, we're supposed to be um, sophisticated and And educated and the world should be getting better, but it seems like the world is decaying and getting worse. We look at our neighborhood, even in driving into this wonderful neighborhood, who is filled with many, many great people. But we are reminded of the brokenness around us through homelessness and and gang violence and having one of the largest areas in Louisville where there is just drug use and drug overdose. Look at our families and we think about some friendships that we have that have went sour and we can look at others or even look at ourselves and we can just be reminded of the captivity that there are those who are bound, bound by sin, bound by the situation, bound by their surroundings, bound by disease, and yes, even bound by demons. And the message this morning for you and for me is to look to Jesus in the scripture and to simply see that Jesus has authority over disease and demons and all of nature. And he has come to set the captives free. And I think God's invitation to you, Christian, this morning is to lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and to believe that the King of glory shall come in. And who is this King of glory? It's the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the King of glory. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who has all power. He is the one who is able to heal. He is the liberator. He is the answer. And my prayer this morning is that he would recapture our attention and our imagination so that as we exit through these doors this morning, we can be reminded that we serve a God who is all powerful and who is able. And my prayer is that he will shake us out of our cynicism, our nihilism, and even our spiritual agnosticism as Christians, which would believe the report of the world over the good news which Jesus came to proclaim. And so to help bring us out, we're going to look at three stories. The first story is we're going to see that Jesus has authority over disease, over demons, as Jesus is going to heal a man who is demon-possessed. The second story is going to be that Jesus um, heals Simon's mother-in-law. And the third story is it's going to be that Jesus is going to throw a healing and a deliverance party for those who are in Capernaum. And as we look at these three stories, we want to be reminded of what is happening in uh, the storyline of Luke. 
And so even as we go and broach into this first story about Jesus healing a a man who was possessed by a demon, we see in verse 31 that that it says, Then he went out to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And so this verse immediately should point us back to the previous passage. In the previous passage, Luke has us in Nazareth, which is Jesus' hometown. Now, we talked about last week how Luke actually is not writing in chronological order. Uh, What happened in Nazareth actually happens outside of Capernaum. But Luke is a theologian and he's also an artist. And he is painting a picture for his reader to make a claim of who Jesus is. And from chapter 4 through chapter 9, verse 50, the claim that he wants his audience, his readers to see, is that Jesus has come preaching good news to the poor. And he went through Galilee preaching good news to the poor. And he starts with the episode in Nazareth because that episode sets us up. It gives us an interpretive grid for Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was in Nazareth, he opened a scroll and he began to preach from Isaiah chapter 61. And the essence of his message is this, is that God has sent him to proclaim release to the captives. And you remember last week that after preaching this message, people were going to be amazed and astonished, but they're going to seek to kill him as Jesus is going to speak a prophetic word to them. Well, now Jesus is in Capernaum. And in Capernaum, we want to understand that Capernaum is a very important city uh, for Jesus. In fact, this is going to be his home base in the Gospel of Luke and the Synoptic Gospels. This is where he's going to spend a lot of his time. And that was strategic. Capernaum was a port city, which meant that there was a diversity of people that was coming out, as well as a diversity of just, just wealth and experiences. It also was a city where uh, fishermen um, flourished. And so we'll see that Jesus, even in the next story, is going to call some fishermen to follow him. And that's because in Capernaum, there was a a blooming fishing business. But this is going to be his home base. This is going to be the place where he does many miracles. It's also going to be a place where he comes back to. And if we go back to the previous chapter, we know that Jesus is pretty much saying what the crowds is going to say to him as he is going to choose not to do many miracles among them. They're going to say, what we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. But Jesus isn't going to do that in his hometown. So what took place in Capernaum? Well, in Capernaum, we're going to see today that he is back in the Sabbath. And remember, that's a major thing. Jesus' ministry um, is a ministry of preaching. Luke does not want us to get sidetracked by all the miracles. Jesus was a preacher, a proclaimer, and he authenticated his message through doing miracles. In fact, what Luke is doing is showing us that the Messiah is here. And how do we know he's here? It's because he backed up what he said. What he said he came to do in Nazareth is what he is doing. Um, He's a man who not only is a man of word, but he's a man of deed. He's able to cash the checks that he writes with his mouth. And so on the Sabbath, he is teaching. And look at verse 32. Notice the crowd's response. Once again, the crowd is amazed. They are astonished. And this is a theme in the life of Jesus. 
The first time we see a crowd of people astonished is in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is in the temple of Jerusalem and he's 12 years old and he is teaching the religious leaders. And, people, and, the, and Luke says that people are amazed that a 12-year-old has so much knowledge. There's going to be this theme throughout the book of, throughout these three stories of astonishment. In fact, here are some things that we see in common with the three stories that we're going to look at. Uh, one thing that we're going to see, especially with two stories of Jesus uh, healing demon, the demon-possessed man, is this. Jesus is, in all three stories, is in complete control. In all three stories, he is demonstrating that he has complete control. He has authority over diseases and demons. We see, as I said, the prioritizing of preaching and teaching. We see that witnesses are going to be amazed at Jesus' authority. And this is important to note, just like last week, that just because people are amazed at Jesus' sermons, it does not mean that they are following Jesus. And just because people love to hear sermons or love to hear preaching does not mean that they are a follower of Jesus. Just because you come to church on Sunday does not mean that you are following Jesus or that you are in the kingdom of God. Following Jesus means that you are following him by faith and that you understand that he has saved you by grace, not by works. And that he is the God of this universe who lived a perfect life, who died in your place, who rose with all power and who is coming back again. We're also going to see in this text that demons are going to recognize Jesus. And in both demon stories, they are going to start kind of preaching Jesus. In this story, they're going to call him the Holy One of God. In the latter story, they're going to call him the Son of God. But Jesus in this message is teaching, look, his message with one who has authority. In order to spell the word authority, you have to spell the, one, the word author. Jesus is preaching as one who is the very author of the people's lives that he is preaching to. And while he's preaching in a synagogue, there is a, a man, and look how Luke describes him, who is unclean and demonic. Now, it's interesting that Luke puts the word unclean there. And the reason why that's interesting is because we know that as uh, Jewish people that they really saw the world through as a result of the law, the lenses of clean and unclean. And a person who was demon possessed is a person who is considered to be unclean, which means that if this person is unclean and people know that they're unclean, that this person should not be in a synagogue, which is kind of a a, a telltale for us that people did not know that he was demon-possessed, that he was under the radar. He was probably a part of the fellowship, but yet he was possessed by a demon. Quick side point here. I think it's important, and Christians kind of ask this all the time, uh, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And the answer to that question is no. A Christian is a person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a result of the Holy Spirit, um, allowing them to receive the message of the gospel. And after, upon receiving the message of the gospel, we read in Ephesians that the Christian then is sealed by the Holy Spirit. There is no more room in a Christian for to be possessed by anything other than the Spirit of God. Now, Christians can 
hear me, be under the influence of demons. We can listen to that slithering serpent and find ourselves in sin, operating in the way of the kingdom of the world rather than the way of the kingdom of God. But we cannot be possessed by a demon. So this person who's in a synagogue, he's possessed by a demon, which means that he wasn't following Yahweh by faith. And we read in this text that he is an unclean spirit and he's going to cry out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now I want you to notice what we don't see in this story. We don't see Jesus first initiating with this demon and calling him out. What is likely happening is that Jesus has received the scroll just like he did in Nazareth and he is teaching. And as he is teaching, the demon gets aggravated. Jesus is the only person I know who can exercise a demon by exegeting scripture. As he is teaching the scripture, as he is exegeting the text, the demon is like, "Uh uh-oh. And essentially he says, Jesus of Nazareth, we know you. And notice what he asked him. Have you come to destroy us? Which lets us know that demons and Satan knows that the day is coming when Jesus will put an end to them and their evil. Satan knows that he is on a leash and that his time is up. And so as Christians, as we watch the news, as as we see what's going on in the world around us, as we look into our neighborhoods and we see this dysfunction, may we know what the demons know that this will not be always. And Jesus here is declaring that his kingdom is here, even though it is not fully here yet. And he's coming to show that he is taking territory. He is disrupting Satan's system and his way of doing things. He is not afraid of the darkness. In fact, he has been called to go into the darkness and to bring light and healing. In fact, notice what the demon calls him, the Holy One of God, which is in direct contrast to how the demon is described. The demon is described as unclean. Jesus is described as holy or clean. And essentially, when you read the scripture, there's only two types of people. There are those who are in Adam, and there are those who are in Christ. There are those who belong to the city of God, and there are those who belong to the city of man. There are those who belong in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of man. There are those who are in Christ, or there are those who are still in their sin. Or we can say there are those who are clean, and there are those who are unclean. The only ones who are clean are those who will place their faith and trust in Jesus. And what makes that person clean is not the fact that they are able to clean themselves up. What makes that person clean is the fact that they place their faith and trust in Jesus and that his blood cleanses them. And that positionally, even though they are imperfect, when God looks at them, he sees a holy one. He sees a saint because they are covered in Christ's righteousness. Everyone else, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much of a philanthropist you are. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care if you're vegan. I don't care if you do yoga. 
anyone else, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible teaches that you, in the sight of God, listen to me, in the sight of God are unclean. Because your righteousness, your good deeds before God can never be clean enough. And he has given his son as a gift to you that if you run into him, you shall be safe. And it's only his son's sacrifice and you recognizing his lordship that makes you right with him. And it's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus alone. Jesus speaks to this man who is possessed by the demon. He speaks to the demon and he rebukes him. And listen, this isn't one of the scary movies that you grew up watching around Halloween where a priest goes into an exorcism room and it takes like four hours for him to get a demon out. Jesus says, come out. There's no twisting of the head. There's no saliva. The man comes out and then on his way out tries to hurt the the man. The Bible says that he threw the man to the ground, but I love what it says, but the man was not hurt. What's Luke saying? Luke's saying, Jesus, Jesus is here. Jesus run this. What Jesus says is what happens. And then verse 36, we see again, amazement came over everyone. And they're saying, what is this message? They're saying, how can he even command unclean spirits out with authority? And they come out and news spread. Story two, we see that Jesus goes to Simon's house. Simon later will be renamed Peter. This is the first time that we see Simon in Luke's gospel, but he's going to start developing Simon as a character uh, in the next story, which we'll look at next week together. And Simon's mother has a fever and is, uh, is ill, is deathly ill. And the text says that Jesus just stands over Simon's mother and he rebukes the illness. And the fever stops. And again, this is a showing of Jesus' divinity. He can cast out demons. He can heal a person on demand. In a couple chapters, we're going to see he can speak to a raging sea and say, peace, be still. Jesus is in absolute control. And for this third story, I'm going to ask you to participate with me as we go to the scene three here. And if you are comfortable, only if you're comfortable, I'm just doing this so you don't fall asleep. Uh, it's lunchtime. Some of y'all tired. Y'all stayed up too late last night. Amen. If you feel comfortable, just stand up to your feet with me and put um, whatever's in your hand down and just get comfortable. We're going to do a, a, a three-minute exercise. I want you to actually live in this story for a minute. It's so easy for us to be in our heads when engaged in Scripture and not in our hearts. I want you to find a focal point, um, or you can close your eyes. I'll keep my eyes open. Um, just don't let the focal point be me. That'll be awkward. <laughs> and I just want you to imagine a scene with me. I want you to imagine that you were in a synagogue earlier that day, and you heard Jesus preach. You heard about his fame, so you got there like the night before because you want to make sure you could get a front row seat. 
And you heard Jesus preach and he preached in a way where it just seemed like he was talking to every single person there in a very specific way. Every single word counted. And you thought to yourself, he is not teaching like other religious leaders who talk about God. He is speaking almost like he is God. This is so unique. And it pierced your soul. And while you were there, a man started yelling at Jesus. The man's voice seemed demonic. Jesus spoke to the man. He cast out a demon and then returned back to teaching. And everyone there left saying the same thing. That was supernatural. You run back home. And as you enter into your house, you tell your niece, you say, listen, I experienced something today. A man named Jesus, he taught incredibly well. And he even cast out a demon. And you begin to tell everyone that's in your household how amazing this is. As the sun is going down, Sabbath is ending. And you peek outside and you notice that there is a commotion and people are saying Jesus is down the street and he's teaching again. And someone says, I just heard that Jesus healed a blind man. And you grab your niece who is sick. For years, she's been bent over. She can't stand up straight. She's had a splitting headache. You've spent a fortune along with other family members trying to solve this problem, doctor after doctor, and no one can help. And you say to her, if he can heal a blind man, he can heal you. And so you got to sprint out the front door. You run down the street. And when you get there, Jesus is there and he's preaching about how God's kingdom is now on earth. And as he is preaching, you look in his face and you see a humble confidence mixed with compassion. And then people start shouting and screaming at him. And he calmly tells them and speaks to the demons that are in them. And he tells them to come out. And then he says, if you are here today and you are sick, come to me. And a line of people start to form. And he touches one person after the other. And your eyes are just filled with tears. You close them, you open them back up and there he is in front of you. He looks at your niece. He kisses her on the forehead. He says, be healed. You look at your niece and it looks like her complexion completely changes. She straightens up her back. She opens up her eyes and she screams, I'm free. Jesus hugs you, tells you that the heavenly father loves you and then walks behind you. And he does the same thing for the next person. question is this morning is twofold. One is who, if Jesus was here today, would you bring to him for healing? And two, if Jesus was in front of you today, what would you want him to do for you personally? 
You can be seated. The Gospels give us this picture of, of God becoming man. The God of this universe humbled himself to become a man, walked the earth. And in order to prove that he is who he said he is, he did miracle after miracle. And this isn't just Christian uh, tradition that says this or the Bible that teaches this. We have Jewish historians who did not place their faith in Jesus. One by the name of Josephus who reported just after the time of Jesus about this man named Jesus who came to Galilee, who preached powerful sermons and who did miraculous healings that till his day could not be explained, who many thought was the Messiah. And this Jesus came to announce the coming of his kingdom. And ever since he left the earth, the world has not been the same. This message, not only of his miracles, but of his preaching, has been a global message for over 2,000 years. And it is in many nations, in many languages. And I think today God is giving us as an invitation, as a church, to see that this Jesus is real, that his kingdom is here now, and that he still has authority over demons and over disease. But there seems to be a block in many of our minds and hearts and a disconnection in a, in a hopelessness that has surrounded us, that is keeping us from, from freely surrendering and worshiping this Jesus. And so I want to give you three quick invitations. One, I want you to see this Jesus in the scripture as the one who has all authority, but who is also perfectly compassionate. And the reason I want to narrow in on this is because as a as pastor of Sojourn through the years, I've had the joy of sitting with many of you and hearing your stories about how you grew up. And, and many of you grew up in, in churches that were very charismatic and that believed in the spiritual realm and that trafficked in the spiritual realm. And, and for some of you, that's, that's beautiful. That's amazing because you saw things that you cannot explain and you experience the power of God in ways that are just amazing. But for others, it's complicated because you may have experienced that, but you also experienced maybe spiritual abuse or you experienced a, a weird culture or you experienced shame because there is this kind of prosperity gospel of faith that if you are sick and if you are not well, it's your fault. It's because you're doing something wrong and because you don't have the faith. And what I think has happened in our community is that there kind of sets in this, uh, this pragmatism and maybe this spiritual apathy or maybe this like almost Christian agnostic type of vibe where we read the stories of scripture and we see this Jesus, but really the only way we believe that Jesus frees us is through intellectual assent. 
And that if he chooses to do a miracle, it is far in between. That yes, he's a healer, but he rarely heals now. And some of us, we just like close ourselves off to spiritual warfare and into the reality of there being a devil and demons, fallen angels who are wrecking havoc on the earth. And so when we see gun violence in the news, it is only a political issue. It is never a spiritual issue. And when we see what is happening in some parts of our city, it is only a result of these types of people. It is never principalities and powers at work. And that affects our prayer life. That affects how we show up. And what I want to call you to is a simple step this week. And the step that I want to call you to is to put your eyes back on Jesus. And to see that Jesus is the one who has all authority. And he's the one who does not misuse his authority. He acknowledges that there is spiritual evil at play, but he does not create a weird culture in order to manipulate you or shame you. That Jesus has come to set the captives free and he has given the church keys to healing. And he said, it's better that I go to be with my father. And the reason that it's better that I go is so that the Holy Spirit will indwell his people and that through his people, there will be a multiplication of healing, a multiplication of power. There will be a taking back of places that are oppressed as they follow him by faith with a humble confidence. Now, that latter part may seem like a lot to you. So today I'm just saying, look at Jesus. Read through Luke and be amazed at Jesus. Don't forget about Jesus. Be amazed at his compassion that he protected the man who was demon possessed. That, demon, that Jesus loved the man but hated the demon. Be amazed at the fact that he took time outside of that synagogue when Sabbath had ended to heal and touch every person. See your Savior. That when the crowds came and they were looking for him the next day, that he did not rebuke them. He did not shame them. That he just simply spoke that he was on his father's timeline. He was willing to be interrupted in the desert place, but that he was on a mission to take this inbreaking of God's kingdom to other places. Second, I, I really want you to see that God's kingdom Yes, it is already. And I'm going to talk about how I believe God wants to work through this church to experience this in the here and now. But I also want to remind you that it's not yet. And the reason I want to say that is because, listen to me, y'all, there is a spirit of cynicism and religiosity void of God's power amongst the church and especially in America now as we look at the news and we look at discernment blogs some of which are helpful as they are exposing the sin of the church 
But it's happening in such a way that we find ourselves holding our heads down and walking as if we are defeated and we don't know how the story ends. And I just stopped by to tell you this morning that we know how the story ends. And we know that at the end, evil does not win. Jesus does destroy Satan and all of his demons. And he brings restoration fully upon the earth. In Revelation, we read 21, 4, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then in the next chapter, in chapter 22, we read and we see this beautiful picture that down the middle of the city's main street, that there's a tree of life on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. There is coming a day where there is complete healing. And you may say, yes, pastor, I hear you, but what about today? What about, what, what about my marriage? What about my sickness? What about my mental health? What about my neighbor's mental health? What about what I see in Louisville and in these streets and, and how quickly people are moving towards violence? And I'm here to tell you that God has saved us to be light among darkness. And the way in which we go about doing that is, not, is by not losing sight on the day that is to come. Which brings me to my last thing is that God is calling us as a church, I think, to walk, to walk in spiritual authority. The spirit of the Lord is not just upon Jesus, not just upon Jesus, but indwells each and every one of us. And too many of us are not walking in spiritual authority. And what I mean by spiritual authority is simply this, that we are not walking by faith, trusting that the Holy Spirit is and can empower us to do what we could not do in our own strength. We are not walking with that humble confidence and waking up in the morning with a humble confidence knowing that God's kingdom is here and that through God's kingdom, we have an interpretive lens for the world. A lens that says, as I hear about the news, as I hear what's going on in my city, I don't hang my head in defeat, but I step out of those doors as vessels, as one who was in darkness, who has been called in the marvelous, into the marvelous light. And I step out knowing that God wants to do a work in me where I am, where I live, where I work, where I play. And rather than give into this cynicism, rather than give into this hopelessness, rather than hang my head low, I lift my head high knowing that Jesus is on the throne and that he wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things, which means that I show up at my workplace Yes, as one who is bruised. Yes, as one who is experiencing brokenness, but also as one who is communing with God every day throughout the day, who shows up at that water, uh, at, the, at the water fountain where everyone is kind of gathering and telling their horror stories about what is happening in the world. I show up with hope. 
And I gently remind them that, man, this world is broken, but as a Christian, what keeps me going is that I know that this is not the end. That shows up to the hospital room with hope. It says, one day, there will be no hospitals to go into because Jesus will bring healing and he is a healer now. And so I'm going to pray by faith that God would heal you and that if he chooses not to, that you would experience his presence and his sweetness and his love so much that will dominate your mind is him and not your circumstance. And that you will show up amongst your children, amongst your friends, daily in your marriage as one who knows that God's kingdom is here and that God is at work. This Lent, I feel like the Lord is calling many in this room to strip themselves of like media. To use these 40 days to cleanse yourself from the cynicism and hopelessness that surrounds you. To guard your eyes and to be careful what you are letting into your your body through your sight and your ears to concentrate yourself as the Holy One of God and to pray each morning a prayer of surrender, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate himself through you, to make you sensitive to what God is doing in this world and to open your eyes to see that the sky is not closed to you, dear one, but it is wide open. And that God is working and he is inviting you to join him in that work. And that happens as we meditate on and abide in Jesus who has authority over disease and over demons who is sitting on the throne right now, not worried, saying, Satan, your time is up very soon. And everyone will see and know that I am Lord. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.